Today we will be in Matthew chapter number 6, looking at this topic, how to give, pray, and fast. And Matthew 6 verses 1 through 18 will be there in just a moment. But before we do jump in, I kind of want to understand the context. We, we, we've brushed this topic before and this, this idea before, but religion uh, in Jesus' day was, was more of a performance than a personal relationship with God. Uh, you know, this was especially true uh, in the practice of prayer. Uh, Jesus' disciples were accustomed to observing the Pharisees and scribes make a show of their faith through their public prayers. Now, they weren't praying to communicate with and worship God, but to be noticed by the common people in the marketplace uh, who would see them uh, and who would hear them. Uh, You know, in in the first half of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus focused on three areas of spiritual life. Uh, Verses 2 through 4, he would talk about giving. Verses 5 through 15, he would talk about prayer. Uh, And then verses 16 through 18, he would talk about fasting. Uh, when, when God's people engage in these activities, uh, they should do so for the purpose of glorifying God. We should give to glorify God. We should uh, fast to glorify God. We should pray to glorify God. The motive behind any act of Christian service uh, comes first and foremost under God's scrutiny. A good test to ask, uh, a good test to, uh, to, um, to take Uh, For believers, they should subject every outward expression uh, and and, and, and activity uh, to this test. It's a good test to take. Ask yourself this question. If no one ever knew I did this, would I still do it? If no one knew that you fasted for one, two, three, forty days. If nobody knew that you had a private prayer time. If nobody knew that you gave to your church uh, or to organizations, uh, would you still do it? That's a very good test to take. Now, as Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he and his disciples were far from Jerusalem and the temple, uh, but the disciples, they were familiar uh, with the description uh, of prayer uh, that Jesus was giving in regards to the religious leaders. Uh, No doubt they'd often watched uh, this display uh, from the the hypocrites, as Jesus would call them, the Pharisees. Now, these uh, Pharisees and religious leaders were really making a mockery of one of the most sacred acts of worship toward God. Uh, throughout his, his earthly ministry, Jesus himself would often with, withdraw uh, to a private place to pray. And you know, spiritual strength and wisdom flowed into his being as a result of these regular encounters with his Father. And so many times we just we, we discount the prayer life of Christ because we think that he was he was he was just he was God, which he is. He's God the Son. But at the same time, he was still one hundred percent man, and his private prayer time is where he was able to uh, rebuild his spiritual strength and his wisdom. And one more time before we jump into the the text, I want to quote Billy Graham. Billy Graham once said, "It's not the body's posture." but the heart's attitude that counts when we pray. And I think that's uh, fair for also giving and also prayer uh, and also fasting. And I think we can take out that word pray and, and substitute it for giving or substitute it for fasting. It's not the body's posture, but the heart's attitude that counts when we pray or when we give or when we 
fast. So uh, let's jump into our text. Let's look first at, at Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. We're going to look through verses 1 through 18, but let's look first at verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no re- reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And the first verse provides the key that unlocks the major theme of really the next 17 verses. It says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men uh, to be seen of them. You know, uh, Jesus was warning that righteous acts are to be done with the right motivation. Giving, praying, and fasting are good deeds. Uh, But if we're not careful, they can be done for the wrong reasons. It's also, I think, uh, fair and interesting to note that uh, Jesus did instruct his disciples to do these things. It was kind of understood that they would do them. Rather, instead of telling them to do them, he instructed them on when they did them, how to do them. I think that's an interesting point to note. Now, giving to God and caring for the poor uh, really have always been expected of God's people. Uh, these were characteristic of the people uh, of Israel. I mean, you could check uh, Deuteronomy 14 and Malachi 3 for that. Uh, you know, the early church. Uh, it was characteristic of the early church. You look at Acts chapter 4 and, uh, and 1 John chapter 3. Uh, these were just characteristics, giving and caring for people. Uh, Jesus said giving to the poor, really like any other spiritual discipline, is a spiritual investment that has spiritual rewards. Giving financial resources can be a sacrifice, it can be an act of obedience, it can be an act of worship, it can be a, uh, a show of a love for God, but it needs to be done for Him. You know, and the, the motivation is an important aspect of that. You know, if the, the heart's desire is to earn human recognition, the action has an immediate return but no eternal value. And I, I want to say that again, that when we are doing something, and if the, the desire inside of our heart is to receive recognition, uh, specifically human recognition, that action has an immediate return, but no eternal value. That's where when the text says uh, they have their reward. So what is the motivation in our giving? So, uh, look, looking there at, uh, at giving, you know, giving for the right reward, not to be seen of men, but to, to really to honor the Lord. Uh, so now let's, let, let's look uh, really at, at prayer. And so we'll look at a good chunk of verses here overall, verses uh, 5 through 15. But uh, kind of with this idea of uh, as we, we're giving for the right reward, now let, let's pray with sincerity. Let's pray uh, with sincerity. The Bible would tell us in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, And when thou prayest, thou, uh, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen as men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter in thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, 
pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So, uh, just like us today, prayer uh, was an important aspect, an important part of religious life. Now, uh, not only had the Jews uh, been given God's written word, but God had also communicated directly with Abraham and many of his descendants, and they felt free to speak to him. But some in Jesus' day uh, kind of had allowed that privilege of prayer to be corrupted by rituals and human traditions. And, you know, where it went from being able to speak and being able uh, to uh, have that freedom, now rituals and traditions have taken over and kind of capitalized uh, on the aspect and the, the, the act of prayer. Uh, Jesus condemned hypocritical prayer, not all public prayer. Uh, I've met people in some circles that, that don't believe that there should be any public prayer in any public arena and that Jesus condemned that. I would have to disagree with that. I believe that Jesus condemned hypocritical prayer, not all public prayer. Uh, you know, in, in this instance, in terms of what Jesus is referencing here in verses 5 through 8, uh, he's, uh, you know, pointing out the importance of sincerity. Uh, in the secret place of prayer, the needs we share are for God's ears and not for others to hear. Uh, during those quiet times, we're uh, impressed with the certainty that God has heard us and He will answer us according to His will. Uh, you know, uh, some well-meaning people today uh, think that repeating certain phrases over and over kind of moves God to act on their behalf. Uh, but realize that genuine prayer doesn't seek to manipulate God. I think that's an important aspect to realize in our prayer life that we're not seeking to manipulate God. God responds to the righteous heart in sincere prayer, not to the one who utters empty words. Think of, uh, of James, where it says that the uh, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, there, there's, uh, there, there's something to be said about those uh, that aren't just simply uttering empty words, but that are engaged in sincere prayer. Jesus' statement in verse 8 uh, says, Your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. It, it kind of poses something, some sort of a, a mystery, if, if, if you kind of catch what I'm saying here. You know, why are we exhorted to pray if God already knows what we need and is able to meet that need? You know, I, I think it's because of this aspect. It kind of presents that mystery, but here's the answer, I believe. When we pray, we're admitting to God our inability to meet our own needs. When we pray from the heart, we're exercising our faith and expressing our dependence on God. Now, on the other hand, repeating those needs to Him again and again may reveal a lack of faith that God is listening to us and a belief that He must be conjoled or kind of pushed into coming to our aid. But at the same time, I, I think, you know, there are some requests that are more serious than others. And some requests are answered quicker than others. And some requests uh, don't seem as big as others. I completely understand that. Uh, but when we go to the Lord in prayer, uh, we're going to Him 
really just open, open-handed. There's a, in, in my small group at church, there's a, 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 a dear lady in that group that says, what well, we just bring to the table, uh, we bring nothing to the table except our sin when it comes to our relationship with God. So when we're coming to the table of prayer, it's, we're coming really empty-handed and saying, God, there's nothing that I can do to meet these needs. I need you. Now, uh, we would find a, a model to, to pray, as it's been said, uh, kind of the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, um, in verses 9 through 15. The Bible would say, uh, Jesus says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, uh, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, uh, debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He would go on to say in verses 14 and 15, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And, uh, and as now as he touches on this model, he gives us this model um, here, uh, we know, and we've, we've said it before, we'll say it again, that prayer played a major role in Jesus' earthly life. Now, before we discount prayer as Jesus praying, uh, we you, as you know, simply just, um, he's, he's God, why did he need to do it? Uh, he showed us, you know, uh, oftentimes that he would withdraw to pray, that he was praying and encouraged his disciples to do the same. It played a major role in his life. He prayed with his disciples, but also uh, he, he spent much time alone. Uh, the disciples were aware of Jesus' prayer habits. And uh, even to the point in Luke chapter 11, uh, one of them says, Hey, Lord, would you teach us to pray? John taught his disciples, would you teach us to pray? You know, you don't go to someone and ask them to teach them something that you don't think that they know about. You know, uh, there, there's certain things you don't, you, you don't come to me asking me to teach you how to hunt. You know, you don't ask me to teach you how to fish or play a variety of sports, but we won't get into that right now. You go to people that, that, that that's part of their skill set. You know, he gave them a simple but comp- uh, comprehensive prayer outline as a model. He didn't specify a time. He didn't say, you know, pray like this at 6 a.m., pray like this and do this at 8 p.m., but he didn't give them a time, he didn't give them a place, or really even a posture for prayer. You could be standing, you could be kneeling, you could be looking up to heaven with your outstretched arms, or bow your head and close your eyes. Uh, realize that prayer is appropriate anytime, any place, and any, under any circumstances. You know, you don't have to lay prostrate on the floor every single time. You don't have to kneel every single time. Uh, and, and, and all of these different situations, we can, uh, it doesn't depend necessarily upon our posture. But when we look at the model prayer, we realize that it, it has been broken down into two parts. First, uh, in verses 9 and 10, it addresses God's glory. You know, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then secondly, in verses 11 through 13, uh, it, it, it considers people's needs. You know, Jesus combined praise for a, an awesome God in heaven with supplication from a loving, approachable God, our Father. You know, yes, his name is 
uh, hallowed and his name's to be honored above all other names. You know, God's ultimate purpose is for his kingdom to be established on earth so that his will can be accomplished. This implies the total surrender of our will to the perfect will of God. You know, uh, we look there uh, in verses 11 and 12. We say, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, uh, in, in these verses, Jesus had our personal needs in mind. In the first century, people were typically paid daily, and immediately upon payment, they went to buy food for the day. Uh, that, that word, the Greek word that's translated daily, uh, you know, give us this day our daily bread, uh, is only, only appears one time in the New Testament. That's right here. And really, it, it has a rich meaning. It points to God's provision for each day reminding us, kind of flashing back to the manna in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. You know, that it's a, he, daily, he's going to show up daily and take care of us, daily, continually taking care of us. Our continual need for bread is comparable to our daily need for God. You know, uh, that, that fact that, you know, uh, bread or whatever, the, the daily need for sustenance is comparable to our daily need for God. The word that's uh, translated debts uh, is in, in Matthew 6.12. Um, it is one of several New Testament words for sins. I know Jesus wasn't saying that God's forgiveness of our sin is dependent on our willingness to forgive others. Rather, uh, those who understand the greatness of God's forgiveness that they've received should extend forgiveness to those who've wronged them. You know, it's been said that hurt people hurt people. But I love the fact that forgiven people forgive people. Now, uh, Jesus, in terms of this extending forgiveness, would, would then extend it in verse 13, extend, extend and expound upon it, um, uh, where he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the glory, uh, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, and then in verse 14, uh, we, as we reference, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you forgive not, neither will your Father forgive. Uh, realize this, that God allows temptation, but he's never the author of temptation. Uh, the sense of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 and, and on, could be, don't let us surrender to temptation. We could in verse you know, uh, verse 13 could be rephrased uh, and, and not lose any uh, meaning behind it if we were to say, don't let us surrender to temptation. God may allow us to be tested by temptation, but his testing is for a purpose. God doesn't waste anything. Now, as uh, he kind of closes out this, this part of uh, verses 16 through 18, uh, you know, he, he transitions from, you know, give for the right reward, pray with sincerity, to now fasting with joy. Verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. 
You know, the religious leaders were uh, being uh, hypocritical in their giving. They were being hypocritical in their praying, and they were continuing to be hypocritical in their fasting. Fasting is modeled in the New Testament. Uh, you know, we see that Jesus fasted, Matthew chapter 4. Paul fasted, Acts chapter 9. The early church fasted in Acts 13. Fasting is a valuable spiritual discipline that enables us to focus our minds on God and seek a deeper prayer experience and dependence upon Him. Uh, you know, uh, Luke chapter 18 uh, tells us that the Pharisees fasted, and tradition tells us that the Pharisees often fasted twice a week, but they did it for the wrong reasons. Uh, instead of using these fasting days as times for genuine prayer and for searching their hearts, they saw them as opportunities to impress people uh, with their religiosity and their spirituality. Jesus clearly expected his disciples to fast, but he warned them against doing it uh, to parade their holiness before others. So, as we kind of wrap this thought up today, we want to give for the right reward. We want to pray with sincerity. We want to fast with joy. Ultimately, we want to avoid hypocrisy as best we can. Now, I understand we're human. We have some hypocrisy, unfortunately, built into us. But that doesn't mean we have to live in hypocrisy. Uh, I mentioned this at the beginning, but spiritual disciplines uh, seek a greater reward than the world can offer. So, you know, when we pray, we're to approach God with reverence and humility, not to try and manipulate it. We should view prayer as a conversation with the, uh, the holy God, the creator of the universe. You know, we need to examine our motives for giving, praying, and fasting so that we're uh, alert to any prideful, self-righteous attitudes. So let's partner together and let's give for the right reward. Let's pray with sincerity and let's fast with joy.